This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, the Tuesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about things going on in your life, whatever, and anytime. Just call us at 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car on this Tuesday, the safest way to call is to use your free KSLR mobile app. Hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Nothing going on, so only a very quick programming uh, announcement before we get right to the questions. Uh, Tomorrow is a holiday. It's Veterans Day. So we will not be having a live show. It will be a rebroadcast. That's tomorrow's program. We will be having church here at Calvary Chapel uh, tomorrow night, but uh, tomorrow's pro radio show will be a rebroadcast. So hope that is convenient for all of you. Well, let me get right to some questions while we await your phone calls. The first question comes from Joe. He says, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul says the devil is the God, he's got a little G, of this world. How does that reconcile with God's sovereignty? Joe, good question. Um, the, the little G is important. He's also called the prince of the air. I think one of the things we have to remember is that the devil, and this always sounds strange to us, but the devil is God's servant. Um, he's rebelling against God, but at the same time he's doing God's bidding. Now that, to me, demonstrates just how powerful God's sovereignty really is. God can take those even who oppose him and who violate everything he tells them. God still works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So I think, Joe, the idea is that the devil is the little g-god of this world. He's the one controlling things on the shots. While God is not passively, I don't like using that word, but God is sitting back and using the, the, the devil to accomplish his purposes. So God is infinitely more powerful than the devil. We don't have to worry about that. But to those of us, especially from Earth's perspective, especially with all things going on right now, um, the devil is doing the bidding of God. Uh, certainly God doesn't um, cause the evil he does, the choices, but God takes those evil choices the enemy makes and, uh, and, and somehow accomplishes his will uh, to eventually be done through those things. So um, good news, Joe. The devil is, um, his time is short. Uh, he's angry, but the time is short, and the time is coming when uh, there will only be one God and it's a huge, big G God and uh, everything will be set right. So I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much for your question. Let's go to our first phone call from Floresville. Margaret on line one. Margaret, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi. I have a question about, well, my pastor had a takeaway for me this week in his sermon and it was that we should never trifle with the holiness of God. And I absolutely agree with that. Mm-hmm. My question is, is it wrong to look for Jesus in everything? I'm trying to 
take him everywhere I go, be with, be as close mm-hmm. to him as I possibly can, and include him in everything. And mm-hmm. I'm finding that if I look, I can see him in almost everything, everything that's not bad. Um, is it wrong to have that attitude? Is that not keeping him as holy as he is? Yeah, Margaret, I, I'm with you. Uh, I uh, I take Jesus with me everywhere, and I mean, I actively work on being aware of his presence. So um, um, I, I actually called it practicing the presence of God. I thought I made that up, and then I realized that 300 years ago, there was a man named Brother Lawrence who wrote a book called the Practicing the Presence of God. But But I don't think it's so much looking for God in everything as it is being with him in everything. And then what you're going to see, and, and this is what life is like in the middle of his perfect will, what, what you're going to see is what he wants you to do in every circumstance. And um, I don't think it's trifling with his holiness at all. He died that we would have that, that fellowship. We died that he could call us friends. Uh, he could call us brothers. He's not ashamed, Hebrews says. So I think what we've got to do is we've got to have the balance between, oh, God's so holy, you don't talk about him like that. You know, when I'm I'm at a restaurant, and, and I'll, I'll be as silly as, okay, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to have. What do you think? You know, and I'm not trifling with his holiness. I'm not diminishing his, 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 his power at all. But what I'm saying is, Jesus, I'm going to enjoy lunch, or I'm going to enjoy dinner, and I'm going to do it because you're here. And then if I'm with other people, they're going to enjoy it more because Jesus is there. So um, I don't think you're trifling with his holiness at all. I think that's what the purpose of his holiness is, is to drag people like you and me in. So, Margaret, if we look for Jesus, take him everywhere, then what you're going to see is you're going to see the world through his eyes. Now, there's always a little fine line, and it gets a little uncomfortable when people say, well, I see Jesus in the trees, or I see Jesus in the clouds. Uh, many years ago, I don't know if it's still on, but in in uh, in San Antonio there was a a public access station program saw it, that was titled "I Saw Jesus in the Clouds," and I think we got to be careful of those kinds of things. But at the same time, imagine how pleased he is that you get up in the morning and you just want to be with him and talk to him everywhere you go, no matter what's going on. He would look at you, Margaret, and he would say, "That's exactly why I died." But there are a lot of old-time, mainline, especially denominations, and they'll think, well, God is so holy that you can't talk about him like that. I've had people get offended because I would, I would just say Jesus instead of Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, um, you know, Jesus died so that I wouldn't have to worry about offending him. And he knows my heart, and you've called here before, Margaret, and we appreciate you, and we know your heart. So um, he would be thrilled that you're taking him with you wherever you go. Again, the fine line is you don't want to look at a tree and say, well, I see Jesus in that tree. Um, the beauty that, that, that we're surrounded with is because of him. But, but I see Jesus, for example, every day in the morning uh, when the sun's out. I always turn to the eastern sky and, and I, I start speaking to the Lord um, that's where he's going to be coming back or coming from when he returns. Um, and so I look at the sun, and I'm not seeing Jesus in the sun, but he's the, the sun is my symbol for the promises of God. And he's been so faithful. So, Margaret, I hope that helps. Are you still with us? Yeah. Can, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. What I want, I want to point out that my pastor was um, pointing out that it's, we need to be very careful that we don't take our sin lightly, that God is so holy. Uh, we can't go through life like, oh, it's no big deal, we're forgiven. Um, we have to be aware of what our sin costs. It costs the death yep. of God. It costs the death of Jesus. And so, But then I was thinking about, you know, for me, a symbol of Jesus is when I look at the moon at night. I mean, he hung that moon there. I, yep. That just amazes me. So, And and I don't see any trees and stuff, but it's like the situation with the election. I have to know that he's got a plan in this. And my prayer is going to be that no matter who lands in the White House, they come to a true saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Savior. Hmm. And 
that would just rock this country like it's probably <laughs> never been rocked before. If we had an out loud, I believe in Jesus and I'm sorry, President. So that's yeah, my that, Let's see what I, I'm, I'm with you. If we had a, a no apologies Christian in the White House, I, I would I would agree completely with you. You know, I agree with your pastor. We we, we Paul calls what he said um, taking our sin lightly. Paul calls that trampling on the grace of God, and certainly we never want to do that. But that's the opposite of what you're doing when you're looking for Jesus, when you're talking to Him, when you're taking Him with you everywhere you go. So um, yeah, His holiness matters when 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 we fail when we sin we need to repent that's taking his holiness seriously and then when we do that then everything that we do and everywhere that we go will be more enjoyable for us because we'll be not only in the presence of the lord but we'll be in the will of god for our lives as well so i i think that's important can i also margaret just say one other thing about about um, the election. I think we as Christians, uh, if we have a a well-rounded view of uh, especially our Old Testament, um, you know, the people of Israel, uh, if if you look at the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, the north and the south, um, 80% plus of them were terrible, terrible kings. It's always a little frustrating when Christians will say things. I've had that happen on this program. Christians will say things like, "Well, well, you know, it's God's will that Trump is the president. It's God's will that Biden is going to be the president. God doesn't care who the man is. God, like you stated, Margaret, God wants whoever it is, he wants that man to come to know him. However, um, God will use even an evil president to accomplish his will. And we're still to respect the office of president. We're still supposed to be uh, law-abiding citizens. Certainly our, our speech is supposed to be uh, gracious, we're supposed to be light in this dark world. Um, but but I'm afraid, and this is where I've been through this whole time, Margaret, I'm afraid that what we're seeing is the unraveling of the United States of America. And I think we're seeing that because we have fallen so far away from God that um, we're sort of on our own. And we're not doing very well on our own. And I think we're getting so close to the Lord's return that that even an election that doesn't turn out the way we want it to uh, can be used by God to accomplish his will, even if, in fact, we don't get to that will. I don't know if I'll get to it today, but i got a couple questions down the line, Margaret, about to COVID and a couple of other things that sort of figure into this conversation. Margaret, God bless you. Thank you for calling. We're still praying for you and yours. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Victor. He said, uh, Pastor Ron, people often look at me like something is wrong with me because I'm single. Why does the church view marriage as the ideal when Paul says singleness is even better? Uh, Victor, let me apologize to you on behalf of the church. I, I think this is an area where the church needs to repent. I think we are actually sort of aiding and abetting um, the enemy when we're we're looking at single people like there's some sort of defect, you know, like, well, shouldn't you know better? Or, or why aren't you married? Or why don't you have children? And, and that's kind of um, falling down into, into their children. We've got uh, teenagers who, if they don't have a committed relationship by the time they're 14 or 15 years old, they just think something horribly is wrong. Singleness is... Best, Paul says, for the committed servant of God, because then his or her attentions are not divided. A hundred percent of their energy can go to serve the Lord. But we also need to remember that marriage is a wonderful thing, and to give from God to this world. And uh, and so this is one of those things, according to Paul, that we can't make a wrong choice. So tell people if they make a comment to you, and if they're just looking at you, don't. Assume that they're thinking the worst. Give them some grace. But um, just respond to them if they say something. Say, you know what? In my singleness, I can be completely devoted to my service for Christ. That doesn't mean you're always going to be single. It just means that God hasn't brought the woman for you yet. And, and Victor, if you are committed to serving the Lord, uh, if he brings somebody to you, it will be somebody who is equally committed to serving the Lord. It'll be uh, a partnership that you can seize upon. 
But uh, there's nothing wrong with you because you're single or, or maybe you have no desire to be married. That's okay. Serve the Lord in whatever circumstance you are in and then you'll find out what God's plan for you is. Let me say this to the married people out there. You know, we, um, maybe a couple times a year, somebody who's single and lonely will come to me or come to one of our staff or, or, or one of our wives and say, well, you know, everything here is geared toward married people. Why can't we have a, a singles group? Or, and I don't do singles groups. It's not my job to arrange dates. It's not my job to, to, to hook people up. But the truth is, not everything is centered on marriage people in any church. And I think sometimes the perspective that we have is wrong. I'm only saying this, Victor, because I need you to be careful. The enemy will take this and sort of use other people to offend you and turn your heart against them so that you're really unable to serve the Lord in fullness because you've got these issues going on in your heart. So is singleness better than marriage? I mean, how can you go wrong when you can't make the wrong choice? So those of us who are married, we need to remember that single people are fine the way they are. They don't need us to fix them up. They don't need our pity. We don't need to talk about them behind their backs. What we need to do is pray for them and pray that God's will will be done. And Victor, just as, as it relates to your situation, uh, I, I think it is so commendable that you haven't been swept up in the ways of the world and all you want to do is serve the Lord. So nothing is wrong with you. Don't assume people are thinking that. But if they say it, then it gives you an opportunity to sort of share um, just how committed you really are to serving the Lord. And uh, serving Him is what it's all about, whether you're married or single. Good question. Martin wants to know, Pastor Ron, what is your opinion of children taking communion? Um, you know, Martin, this is something that we every church struggles with a little bit. We have taken the approach here that um, using Jesus' word, suffer not the little children to come unto me. So when we partake of communion in our children's ministries, um, we, we, it's more of a teaching exercise than it is a devotion. Now, there are kids that really get it, and they're completely committed and devoted, and they, they understand it. But for most of them, it's just something to do. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, every year after the last day of school, all of our kids get promoted to the next class in church. And one day, one of our kids, <laughs> I laugh even thinking about this, one of our kids uh, his first day in the first grade class, in the, 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 the grade above kindergarten, um, he said, he came out of of church complaining. He said, he said, well, we didn't get any snacks. The snacks were terrible. They just gave me one little crummy cracker and a little tiny cup of juice. And he thought that was snacks. Because in kindergarten, of course, they got snacks. So we explain it and we use it as a teaching opportunity, but but we we would err on the side of giving the children grace and using it as a teaching opportunity. Martin, let me tell you something else we do that I think is wonderful, and I think um, one of the best things that we do here at Calvary Chapel. Now, we haven't been doing it because of COVID. We're going to start doing it again with our next, unless COVID flares up again, um, we're going to start doing it with our next communion in December. Um, But we have kids who serve alongside the ushers in passing out the elements. And I absolutely love that. And we've got kids from um, third grade all the way up to high school. And they love the opportunity to serve. And um, when I'm standing up at the pulpit and uh, people are, I'm telling them to be in prayer, let the Lord search your heart. Um, I love watching the kids serve. I love to see them get involved. Some of them serving with their parents. Some of them serving with other adults. But it's something the kids love to do, and our adults love watching them do it. So uh, that's our position here at Calvary Chapel, and uh, I'm, I have no intention, Martin, of changing that. Good question. Hey, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, or toll-free 
630-KSLR. Here's a question from Kit. Um, I'm not sure he or she. Um, My church uses personality testing to determine spiritual giftedness. What are your thoughts? Kit, this is one of my pet peeves. (laughs) And I know mainline denominations do this often. I know it is very prevalent in the Southern Baptist congregation or, or conference, rather. Um, but but certainly not only. I'm ashamed to say that even some of my Calvary Chapel brother pastors um, use these. And, and as you know, the personality tests are used in the world to determine um, talents, uh, interests, things like that. But you see... The church, we sort of an ace in the hole, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives gifts as he wills. And I think we're missing out a great deal if we sort of limit it. Well, you're a good singer. You can sing or or you're good at this. um, So you can do this. Uh, First of all, I don't think we need to do that. I think as Christians seek the Lord, he's going to tell them where they need to serve. And we know that he's going to equip them to do it. Um, but, you know, one of the real difficulties with this is we're, we're, we're using the, the methods of the world, the godless world, and trying to determine a godly use of our spiritual gifts. I'll tell you, if you look really closely, kid, there's something else that's always frustrating to me with regard to these. They'll give those tests and everybody will have the gift of service or the gift of giving. And we know that's not true. If somebody has the gift of serving, they're going to serve. And I think too often we're using that sort of bait and switch to try to guilt people into serving. So, you know, if you don't think you have any gifts, serve God doing something, and he'll let you know what your real gifts are. Be faithful where you are. And he'll take your hand and take you to the next place you have the opportunity to be faithful. You know, Kit, here at our church, I, I, I don't use these kind of tests at all. But I, I know God likes us to be stretched. Um, you know, there's a lot of things people aren't comfortable doing. I especially love when new people come. And they love the way the Word is taught here. And they, they love the fellowship. And they'll come to me and say, well, Pastor Ron, what can I do to serve? And, and if I think they're maybe shy... I'll say, I've got the perfect place for you to serve. Okay, great. Where is it? And I'll say, in the usher ministry, and I'll go get the, the pastor who leads the usher ministry and say, hey, you know, let me introduce you to, and he or she, they're looking for uh, a place to serve. And and that makes them uncomfortable because if they're shy and I put them in a place where they're going to greet people coming in, well, then the Holy Spirit takes over. And that's just one example um, when somebody says, I, I don't like attention, well, I'll put him in a public ministry. When somebody says, well, you know, I want to teach a Bible study or I want to do worship, I'll say, well, how about we start and I'll put him in a ministry where they get no attention at all. And that way I can watch how faithful they are or aren't and then move forward accordingly. But God uses our I was going to say eagerness, but that's not true. Our willingness to be stretched to teach us to really and truly depend on him. But Kit, those personality-driven tests, when I was uh, in, in, the, in business, before I got saved, uh, I used those personality tests because there were certain traits I needed for certain jobs and I could, I thought, get a better fit. And for the world, that works. But remember, we've got the power that raised Christ from the dead living in us. And if God's called you to do something, he will equip you to do it in a way that brings him honor and glory. So, kid, I, 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 I hate that. I just hate it. Those are my thoughts. And, um, you know, the people that use them, I can honestly tell you, I don't think I've ever changed anybody's mind. Um, it's either one thing, well, this is what we do, or... Or like me, I would never do something like that. So I hope that makes sense. I got one minute. Let me see if I got a question. Uh, 
Um, Brody says, here's a question I could do. Jesus died for all sins and sinners, so why does an unbeliever have to believe to get into heaven? Well, Brody, Jesus' death, forgiveness of our sins, is a gift. Now, if I were to give you a gift and you left it unwrapped, it would have no value to you. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did with salvation. And to unwrap it, we need only to believe and receive. A gift that is not utilized really isn't much of a gift. I'll come back on uh, this a little bit. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left for your live calls and questions. We'd love to have the phones ringing, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585. Hey, I just heard that today is the anniversary of, of uh, Dr. David Livingston being found in Africa by... Uh, a newspaper reporter named Stanley. The world was looking for him, and he tracked him down. And I mention that because David Livingston is maybe my, other than the Apostle Paul, maybe my greatest hero in the faith. If you really want some encouraging reading, do some study on the life of Dr. David Livingston. What a true, true faith giant he was. And, you know, apart from... The world getting curious, uh, very few people would have known who he was. But what a great, great story. That was 1871 when uh, Mr. Stanley finally tracked him down. There you are. And, of course, Stanley stayed with him uh, for many, many years until until uh, Dr. Livingston died. Hey, very quickly, I got a phone call. But before we do that, um, Brody, um, with regard to your question, uh, remember that that that, that Jesus' death is efficacious for everyone, but it's only effective for those who receive it. So sinners, we're all sinners. Jesus died for sins, and all we have to do is receive his free gift, and then we've got it. Let's go to James calling from Belmont on line one. James, good to hear from you again. You are on the air. Well, hey, good afternoon, sir. So you were talking you. about uh, anniversaries and the date today. It kind of brings me to mind. Did you already mention the uh, Marine Corps birthday? <laughs> no, I'm trying to drive my producer crazy because he's been wanting me to say happy 244th birthday, 245th birthday forever and ever and ever. And he is a jarhead. So he is, uh, uh, he's got a big smile on his face now, James. Thank you. So should we start now to try and get you to say 246th, or is it okay to wait until next year? Yeah, we, we better wait till next year for that. Okay. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to spoil old, my producer. I, I'm an old Navy <laughs> corpsman, so I wondered why I kind of like him. Good man. Um, <laughs> also, tomorrow is 400 years for the Mayflower Compact, I believe. Um, <laughs> They had made a uh, social covenant whenever they uh, landed on how they were going to govern themselves, and I think tomorrow uh, is 400 years. But I'm kind of speaking outside of of, uh, just things that I had heard earlier, and I haven't really looked that one up yet. I wanted to ask you two questions. One is I kind of think that that, uh, Jesus had a bit of a sense of humor um, because I can't really figure out any other reason. Um, My first question being when Jesus said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise and walk? Um, was he talking to their... Um, uh, what, why, why was that his response 
to the Pharisees? James, he, he understood, of course, their unbelief. And, and he knew that, that everywhere Jesus went, they tried to set him up. And they put sick people, remember the guy with withered hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath? And they knew Jesus couldn't help himself. So there he was, and Jesus, as soon as he walked in, he knew it was a setup. Uh, he knew what they were thinking when he was sitting with sinners and, and, and women with bad reputations. He knew what they were thinking. So here's what he was saying to the unbelieving Pharisees in that particular instance when he said to this guy, rise and walk. You know, anybody can say that. I can go into a thing saying, God, by the Spirit of the Lord is on me, and, and I think the power to heal is here tonight. Rise and walk. But, but um, um, you, you know, then you've got to follow up with action. So when he says to these Pharisees, your sins are forgiven. Now remember, this is the paralytic who's being lowered through the roof um, by his friends. Um, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Um, he knew the first thing that they would all think is, is only God can forgive sins. And, and immediately they would call, accuse him of blasphemy. So when they would accuse him of blasphemy, what he would say is, okay, and, and here's a teaching opportunity. He would say to them, um, you know, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven because that doesn't require any proof. I could just came to be God and I could say your sins are forgiven. And by the way, James, we have a lot of people who, who um, claim the authority to absolve people's sins. I think of the, the, the Catholic priest who, as the, the towers were falling down, um, made a big deal after the fact of saying, as I was running away, I was granting absolution to all those who were in the building. So it's easy to say your sins are forgiven because it doesn't require any proof. So when he says, what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven or arise and walk? And he said, but so that you know I have the authority to, he said, so you know I have the authority to forgive sins. Then he said, rise and walk. And when that guy got up and walked, everybody knew they were dealing with God. Go ahead, James. Well, I was just thinking that part of the reason why he did that was because um, uh, no, uh, the Pharisees, of course, in disbelief, did not believe that he is a son of God, nor does he have the power to forgive sin. And so, okay, you're not going to believe what you can't see. Will you believe what you can see? And so here I am. I'm going to have this paralytic stand and walk. And obviously both things can only be done by God uh, or, or, or with God's power. Um, there's no human power to be able to do either one of those things. But one is kind of seen and one is unseen. And so I didn't know also, though, if he just had a sense of humor, and, and I hate to say sarcastic, but, you know, if he was uh, trying to uh, show them their disbelief uh, visually. Yeah, you know, the Jews, the Jews were always asking for signs and wonders, and, and Jesus knew that, and so that's what he was doing. Now, I agree with you, James, that Jesus had a, a, an exceptional sense of humor. But but I would I would challenge this. I don't think he ever used a sense of humor. I don't think he used sarcasm uh, when he was dealing with unbelief, and that's what he was dealing with. They, you know, they should have believed. He was there. He was on time. All the prophecies that had been fulfilled, and suddenly um, he's got these unbelieving people around him. And in this particular miracle, incidentally, it was fairly early in Jesus's ministry. So the curiosity about who this man is would be natural. He would expect that. But when he said, okay, you want to believe that I have the power to forgive sins? Well, watch this. Um, Jesus was never amused by unbelief. Again, Jesus had a sense of humor. I think his parables bring in that sense of humor. I think the way he interacted... With his disciples, a lot of times when he would say to his disciples, Oh, ye of little faith, or have I been with you for so long? And I think that was Jesus uh, demonstrating a sense of humor. But never with unbelievers, never with those who were his enemy. I think he was very direct and very challenging. And basically what he was saying, um, you know, you'll have me only for a little while, so you better take advantage of what's here. And Jesus acquiesced to giving them signs and wonders to prove or to authenticate who he was. And that's what signs and wonders do. They're, they're for validation. 
But, um, yeah, I think Jesus had a great sense of humor. I just don't think he used it in this particular instant. So thank you, James. I appreciate it very, very much. And, and James, for your information, my producer is showing me tomorrow is the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower Compact. It started in the name of God. Amen. We whose names are underwritten, and that was 1620, so 400 years, and we celebrate uh, Veterans Day uh, tomorrow. So um, thank you, James. Appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from James. This is a different James. How would you respond to someone who says they don't share their faith because religion is private? James, I get this more than you can possibly imagine. When talking to people, you got to share your faith. Well, I'm not comfortable. Religion's a private thing. You're not supposed to talk about it. When really, that's just a cop-out for disobedience. That's all it is. When Jesus said that we're to go and tell the world, you know, one of the themes, and Paula was mentioning it in one of the programs here recently, um, you know, Jesus told us to do two things. Come and see. That's to look at the empty tomb. And once we've seen, go and tell. So, come and see. And go and tell. And people say, well, I'm just not comfortable doing that. Those are Christians who are being disobedient. And James, I, I, I can tell you what I've done, because I've done it many, many times. I've told, well, that's simply being disobedient to God. And you've got to decide if you can live with that. As for me, I can't live with that. I take my cue from Peter and John and the other apostles. When they were beaten, thrown in jail, um, released and beaten for sharing Jesus. And they told him, look, we're going to let you go, but you must stop preaching in this name. And Peter looked at him and said, well, you have to decide, is it right for us to obey men or to obey God? And their lives would have been a whole bunch easier if they just would have been quiet, but they couldn't be quiet. James, for Christians, I don't understand how we can be quiet with this treasure that we have. I just don't get it. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, and that's what it is, it's denial. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. I can't imagine what that moment would be like when we get to be introduced to the Father it's hard for us to imagine he's spirit. He's not corporal. He's not uh, not in flesh and bones like Jesus is. Father, this is my servant, Ron. What if the next thing Jesus said was, Father, he denied me before men because he was uncomfortable, because he was too private. Can you imagine Jesus denying us? Insisting this is my servant, Ron. He would say, this is Ron, or whatever my new name will be. It's not a salvation issue, but it's an important one, I think. So James, I would tell them they're being disobedient, and there's always a price for disobedience. Oh, here's a heartbreaking one. Anonymous says, God told me my cancer would be healed but it has come back. Did God lie? Uh, none of my heart breaks. I was just, uh, Paul and I were praising God last night. Um, we had a, a dear lady in our church, one of the people that had been prayed for more than anybody in the, the history of our church. And she sent a text message, said yesterday was a year anniversary since her cancer was completely gone. And we just rejoiced. I, I was a little bit embarrassed. I said, to the Lord, I said, Jesus, you know, there's so many problems and so much going on that we forget to be grateful for the things that you've already done. And this lady, her name is Raina, I just said, I can't imagine our lives without her, Lord. She's such a joy and such a gift, and she's been so strong, not only in her faith, but physically strong to, to deal with everything that she had to go to, to deal with. And on the other side of it, she's more in love with you than she ever was. And and uh, so some people get healed. Some people don't. Now, this is 
I want to be careful not to sound like I'm being harsh or judgmental here. But I don't think it was God that told you your cancer would be healed. I think a lot of times we want to believe it so badly that we attribute to God our own thoughts. If God told your cancer would be healed, it would be gone, it came back, well, we know that can't be God. So it's just one of those things, Anonymous, where we attribute to God something that he never said, something that he never intended. Um, My office manager, many years ago, um, she came down with lung cancer. And um, she kept telling me, nope, God told me I'm going to be okay. And she would go through the chemo, she went through everything, and she, she was a trooper. But it never went away. In the morning, I'll never forget this morning, I got up and I just knew I had to go see her. God does that, you know, just, just this is the last time, go see her. And she was so weak, I washed her feet, Lord told me to do that. That was preparing her symbolically for heaven. I was just talking to her, and she looked at me, and as she was so weak, she, I could barely hear her. But she said, God said I was going to be healed. And I was able to look at her and say, Today you will be. You see, God never told her that she'd be physically healed either. So my heart goes out to you. But never, no matter what you're going through, never doubt God's faithfulness. Never doubt how much he loves you. And the truth of the matter is anonymous, that sometimes we have to remember what the psalmist wrote, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. What that means is that on that day, whenever it happens, and we'll be praying it doesn't happen for a long, long time, But whenever that day occurs, when you go stand with Jesus, you're going to see just how precious that moment is for God. He'll welcome you with open arms. Until then, keep praying for healing. Keep taking your treatments. Keep depending on God for strength. I know how hard it is. We've been through it so many times. We've got several people in the body now who are dealing with with cancer on a long-term basis. God's grace is sufficient. Fill up on it every single day. The truth is, God didn't say your cancer would be healed. It's what we want to hear. We convince ourselves. But anonymous God never lies. And if I could explain, I I can't do it adequately, but if I could explain how much he loves you, it would change everything. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Derek says, I attend an online Bible college that is liberal doesn't believe the Bible is the Word of God. How can I interact with the teachers in a way that dialogue could happen? Derek, let me just say this. I'm, I'm going to be real short and sweet to the point and as practical as I can be. Why are you wasting your money on a Bible called that's liberal and doesn't believe the Bible is the Word of God? There's nothing for you to gain. And if your mission is to convince liberal scholars to open a dialogue, then you're on the wrong mission. An online Bible college that doesn't believe the Bible is the Word of God proves only that you're not learning about the Bible at all. So stop wasting your money Seminary is not necessary. It's okay, but but it has to be a good seminary. 
And you're just wasting your money and your time. Just open your Bible and study it yourself. You'd be much better off. And if what you want is a degree, well, there are other places to get it. So just stop attending. Whatever time you've invested, you've wasted. You had to be okay with that. And let me help you understand this. God would be pleased that you just trashed it all. Because every day you encounter your online Bible school, you're helping them with your money not only denigrate the Word of God, but but really blaspheme God himself. So stop attending that Bible college, period. Annette asks, Pastor Ron, is soul sleep in the Bible? The answer is no. There is no such thing. I know people like to believe it because they don't like to think anybody would go to hell. I know there are some denominations, uh, some Christians, some not Christian, and some within the same thing, Seventh-day Adventists, as an example. Um, who, who who believe in this concept of soul sleep. But no, it's not in the Bible. Uh, it's, in fact, uh, antithetical to that which is written in the Word of God. So, And that soul sleep is just not something that is biblical at all. And it is a, um, a heretical. It doesn't mean they're heretics necessarily, but it is a heretical doctrine. Let me also say this. Um, there are places in the Bible... Um, it, it's it's sort of consistent with the the way language was used in in the, the times our Bible was written, where it would say he would sleep with his fathers. Uh, Jesus talked about Lazarus. Lazarus sleeps. Well, if he sleeps, he get better. And Lazarus um, uh, or, or the, the disciples were corrected by Jesus, um, and, and says very clearly in the Gospel of John that that um, Lazarus is dead. So it's just a euphemism for dying, but there's no such thing as soul sleep. To be absent from the body, and that is to be present with the Lord. When we take our last breath of air in this world, we will instantly be transported by an angel in the presence of God. Talk about rarefied air, that's where we'll be. So soul sleep is not biblical, don't believe it, and uh, don't let anybody try to convince you otherwise. Four minutes. Let's see, i got one more question. Daryl says, Is there any way I can help my family or friends who are left behind in the rapture while I am in heaven? Can I pray for them? Can I send messages to them? Um, Daryl, when you're in heaven with Jesus, the last thing you're going to be concerned about is your friends here. Those who are left behind, they have their chance to receive Jesus Christ while they're alive. Um, In this case, you talk about the rapture of the church. When they're left behind, they're going to encounter the great tribulation. Now, there's still going to be an opportunity for them to be saved, but that will have nothing to do with you being able to pray for them. When we get to heaven, we'll have no, no sorrow, no tears, no pain. And it would be just the opposite if we were focused on the things that were going on down here, especially during the time of the Great Tribulation. So it's really that important that we understand this. Tell them now. Tell them about the rapture of the church. And then say, if Christians are out of here, you know I'm telling you the truth. You've got to get tough. You've got to hang in. But hopefully we can talk about them receiving Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, so they're not left behind. But while you're in heaven, there's nothing to do except worship God. And I don't mean that in a boring sense, but, but you'll be in the presence of Almighty God, the one who made everything, the one who planned out your life minute by minute, day by day. And you'll be in His presence. And nothing else will matter. In heaven, you won't pray for anybody. You certainly won't be able to send messages back to them. What you'll be able to do is while you're here on this earth is tell them what's going to happen and then the choice is up to them. 
choice is up to them. In Luke chapter 16, Daryl, um, the rich man and Lazarus, a, a real story, not a parable. Um, the rich man said, uh, Lazarus, come and cool my tongue, for I'm in torment in this fire. And Father Abraham said, no, nope, he can't come to you. You can't come to them. And he said, well, at least send somebody to tell my brothers. And Abraham told him, your brothers had the word of God. They had the testimony of God. And even if someone were to rise from the dead, they wouldn't believe. So the last chance is on this earth. That's the last chance. Appreciate your heart for your family members, Daryl, but one of the things we've got to remember is God loves them more than we do, and your job is to witness effectively for him. Well, we are about done. As a reminder, we are going to be off tomorrow. It will be a, um, a pre-recorded broadcast. Uh, we will be having church tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Paula will be live in studio with me on Thursday on the date day edition of the program. Uh, for those of you who are veterans, um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you for your service. Um, and we'll be praying for all of you. Hey, I appreciate you tuning in. This has been The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back live on Thursday with Paula in studio on AM630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Oh,